I did watch. Did Walter sh- poop? He pooped right before because I was like, I'm not going to restrict you and like make you hold it till we get to this lady's yard because I did sleep on it and thought, wow, Tasha, you were at a 10 for like maybe a four. Mm-hmm. I was also PMSing really hard and I'm like just getting my period. So like, again, not the day, but like, yeah, I'm going to I'm still going to walk by her house. And if he takes a shit in her yard, he takes a shit in her yard. Right. But he did it in the corner. And I like flamboyantly have been taking out my poop bags now. <laughs> just like <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, I am going to start recording if I'm ever by her house, though, because I could see her like with how how insane this response was to me. I could see her lying and saying I didn't pick up after my dog. So it's like I want to document it. Yeah. Because I'm just like sitting there practicing in my head. I'm like, if that bitch is outside, I'm going to be like, hey, guess what? I did call the city Mm -hmm. and my dog is allowed to shit on your living room floor. Anyway, if you want to hear me going off like a fucking psycho, check out our October friendship boat (laughs) on Patreon. Great. Yeah, we we barely get Tasha stories, so it's good. I was unhinged, and that's fine. And that happens um, because we're all humans with a range of emotions. And mm-hmm. I'm protective of those that I love. And that includes my fucking dog. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Oh, you're wearing the tattoo shop shirt. I am. Wayward tattoo right here in Madison. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're on season four, episode 23, Grief. <laughs> yeah, we are. This was a good episode. It was a great episode. My chaser is... Yeah. Okay. If I tell you about the chaser and you're like, I can't believe I didn't know about that. I'm just, I'm going to slam this laptop shut (laughs) and I'm going to block your phone number. (laughs) I can't imagine you don't know about this. It's insane. Okay. Well, it's like very famous, but also like I would never do that. (laughs) I know. Opening scene. We're at a busy nightclub. There's a super stressed out server named Kimmy. Mm -hmm. She's getting shit from all these customers for being slow and like nobody's taking their orders. She can't find her co-worker Vanessa. She's supposed to be helping her. Another co-worker said Vanessa was at the bar talking to a real hottie and Kimmy is pissed. Because she's in the fucking weeds and the woman that grabbed her that was like, hey, um... Can you take our order? We've been waiting forever. And I get it. But when you see a server who's obviously like sweating and going to be having a nightmare about somebody's ranch later that night, like just yeah. please, please. And you're four feet away from the bar. Just go up to the bar and try. Just go up to the bar. I mean, I get bitch. it. Like, I geez. get it that it's hard and like also the entitlement that people feel. But like I will I will wait 40 minutes if somebody looks busy or I'll go uh-huh. somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's not standing next to the bar talking to some hottie. That's her friend. That's Vanessa. <laughs> who we're like not even mad at. And we'll tell you yeah, why. Not either. So she goes up to the bartender, Jake, and he said that he saw Vanessa arguing with her boyfriend, but they were so loud he had to tell them to go outside. Kimmy goes out to the alley to look for Vanessa. She hears like the meow, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a fake, <laughs> I don't know, like they cut they cut it, I don't know, from Animal Planet. Like a human was like, oh my God, we have to let them know there's a cat here. Yeah. And this guy named Dave who works in sound is like, meow. And they're like, yes. awesome, Dave. Great job. Great. You're not getting paid. Get back to work. He gets a credit on his IMDb. <laughs> it was like, bloody cat, SVU, 2005, <laughs> or whatever. So our, a, a fucking cat comes around. He's covered in blood. Oh, my God. And the cat's being played by that cute little King Charles Cavalier, but he's wearing Halloween cat ears. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's actually a golden retriever in a cat suit. <laughs> in She's... a Catwoman cat suit. So it's like... <laughs> And the one from the 90s where it's all ripped in <laughs> Shell Pfeiffer one. He's like, he's like, meow. <laughs> meow, daddy. Meow. <laughs> okay. So. Underneath the suit, this dog is covered in Vaseline. <laughs> Toots is peeking around the corner in his gym suit. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Okay. So, so yeah, Kimmy sees this cat, and she's like, what the fuck? And she's walking around, and then she finds Vanessa dead with her shirt open, slumped against the building. Benson Stabler show up at the crime scene. They're getting debriefed. Toots, wink, wink. <laughs> oh, um, my God. I can't believe I've never made that connection. Debriefed? Underpants? I didn't till <laughs> just this moment. So <laughs> if we hadn't talked about all that weird Vaseline dog stuff, I would have never even... <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you think those words have ever been said in that order before? I hope not. <laughs> so Vanessa was 19. She was a student at Hudson University. Of course, the other's like, that's where my daughter goes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> we'll hear from you plenty. Yeah. She was shot at close range, raped and sodomized. Her underwear were ripped. And I'm like, don't say panties again. I had to change his underwear because that fucking guy's like panties. Mm. Ugh. And uh, semen was found on her chin. The gun was at the scene. So Vanessa had gunshot residue on her hands and she could have been fighting her attacker when it was fired. Benson Stabler speak with Kimmy. She's all shook up, of course. She says Vanessa is always outside arguing with her boyfriend or feeding the stray cats. Vanessa always called her boyfriend D, and Kimmy doesn't know what his real name is. And she thinks D is Vanessa's drug connection. And they were like, she does drugs? And Kimmy says she wasn't sure, but one day she'd be like, super woohoo. And then the next day, just be like way low. There's some commotion, and Stabler turns around. Vanessa's dad, Ray, is trying to get through the yellow tape. Are you going to say it, or am I? What? Vanessa's dad is Dr. Miles Dyson, the inventor of the microprocessor that leads to fucking Skynet. <gasps> this dude has been acting since 1970. He has 136 acting credits, but will always be the dude that the Terminator peeled his arm skin off in front of to me. Oh my God. Listen to me very carefully. Holy shit. <laughs> He's like, meow, meow. Was he, so was he the one that was like holding the bomb thing? Yes. And he was He's like, like, I don't know how much longer I can hold this. He's like, <gasps> yes. <gasps> Yeah. Oh my so God. fucking good. Stabler and Benson go over to him to handle it. And Stabler lets him know that Vanessa is dead. He's oh. so upset, obviously. And he's like, oh my God, not my baby. And then they wheel Vanessa's body in a body bag to the ambulance. And he like runs over and it's really sad. Theme song. Now we're at the precinct. Benson and Stabler are speaking with Vanessa's dad, Ray. He's been up all night, but wants to help. Ray didn't know that Vanessa had a boyfriend. And he's surprised because Vanessa's mom died when she was three, and it's just been them all these years. Ray did notice her grades went from A's to C and D's and had received a call from the dean at Hudson when Vanessa tried to take out a 5K personal loan. He asked Vanessa about it the day before, but she wouldn't tell him what it was for. Ray says he doesn't know if Vanessa was doing drugs, but says that she's been having violent outbursts and was upset when her dad told her to stop working at the club. Yeah, because Benson asked him if he knew if she was on drugs, like the money and the erratic behavioral behavior changes. And all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he says the last thing he said to Vanessa was, Don't come to me for help and you ruin your life. And then I'm like, Oh. And he was like, I didn't mean it. Like he was so regretful. Yeah. And Stabler dad's up and he's like, hey, I know you didn't mean it. You know, after all, I have three daughters. <laughs> I say things I don't mean all the time. Like I'll be home for dinner. <laughs> right. I'll be there for the twins birthday. <laughs> And then Ray's like, well, you can take it back. I can't. Which I was like, oh, no. Still at the precinct, Cragen and the detectives are going over all the info from Vanessa's dad. Cragen thinks that the change in Vanessa's behavior mean that Vanessa had a drug problem. And Staves thinks that maybe she owed her dealer money. That's why she was looking for that five grand. And the drug dealer made an example of her, but the sexual assault was just for extra humiliation. Mm -hmm. Which is like so fucked up that like, I don't know. That just struck me where I was just like, sex is used to humiliate. It's just bizarre. Toots and Munch come in and tell everybody that they canvassed the club. People had seen Vanessa's boyfriend getting loud with her, but nobody knows his full name. Remember, Vanessa just calls him D. Mm-hmm. He's young, five foot ten, and Munch goes, and the only thing anyone can agree on is that he's cute. Jealous? Jeez. I like the way he said cute. <laughs> Craigan wants to find out who the boyfriend is because he's looking good for this right mm-hmm. now. And Craigan wants Toots and Munch to see if the CSU lab was able to pull prints off the gun found on the scene. And he wants Benson and Stabler to go speak with Vanessa's roommates and ask about a D. Now with the dorms at Hudson University, Benson and Stabler are talking to Vanessa's roommate, who has the raspy voice of a young Joan Rivers. I loved it. She's like, I didn't even notice. his real name is Donovan Alvarez. He's pre-law like me. Why am I saying? It's like she's an old lady. I know. Vanessa dumped him last semester. Melissa! Yeah, there it is. (laughs) She doesn't know why Vanessa called it off with him, though. Donovan's a great catch. All the girls are after him. My predictions were so fucking off. Yay! I want to hear them. (laughs) So I I wrote, oh my God, it's her. She did it. Jealousy. (laughs) 
I have more, but go ahead. She also tells them that Vanessa's behavior changed and she stopped going to class and mm-hmm. <laughs> acting yeah. wild, short skirts, tight tops. And it's like, okay, there are periods in your life where things change, you know, and people experiment with different looks. That was just annoying. It's like, she's acting wild. She's wearing short skirts and tight tops. She's also a young woman, probably just like getting it fucking in. She's in college. Her, yeah. Yeah. Let her be in college. I just, it was judgy. It was judgy. Mm-hmm. What are you wearing? That was her on the red carpet. Anyway. Right. R.I.P. <laughs> she says that the outfits and everything didn't bother her boyfriend Donovan, though. He liked her free spirit, but then she dumped him. The roommate says that they can find Donovan in the park playing speed chess. So Benny and Stabes head over to the park to find Donovan playing chess with an older man, obviously wearing a Newsies cap. Mm-hmm. Stabler... Jimmy Fallon moves this old dude to sit down with Donovan. No, he was like, "Here's my badge. Get out, <laughs> dude. Chill out." He's just like an old man playing at the park, kicking a ball around with his friend D. <laughs> so Donovan tells Benson and Stabler that when he left the club that night, Vanessa was fine. Stabler asks him about the bandaid on his neck, and Donovan's mm. not fucking stupid and does what He's we pre-law. all should make a habit of doing, mm. and says. Oh, I see where this is going. I'm done answering any questions without a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And Benson's like, whoa, could we go to DNA sample? <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to give you a sample so you can frame me with my own cells. And Stabler goes, well, why would we do that? And D correctly uh-huh. says, I don't know. Why would you stick a plunger up Abner Luima's ass? And I was like, oh, my God, you just did that chaser. Literally did. Also, Stabler's silent in this moment because he shut him the fuck up. And uh-huh. yeah, our Abner Luima case was on episode 92, if anybody wants to go back and check it out. Very fucked up. And it, and he's spot on for mentioning that because it's like, yeah. yeah, I can't trust you. Also, like Gabe said, he's pre-law, so he knows enough. Right. He tells them if they want anything from him, they need to come back with a fucking warrant. And then he gets like young guy cocky and goes, I believe that's check and mate. <laughs> And, and like pushes pu- over yeah and pushes <laughs> over the king and he stands up and he leaves and stabler's like it sure is you smart ass picks up the chess piece that donovan was just printing all over uh-huh. and goes all right we're gonna take this back to the lab with us which sucks for the next people playing chess first of all yeah oh man another fucking missing piece at fucking park chess god <laughs> fucking park chess. also i'm like why is he a smart ass because he was exercising his rights and it made your job frustrating yeah. I wrote, Stabler takes the chess piece Donovan used to make his sick ass burn and says, <laughs> sure is smart ass. <laughs> now we're with Corner Warner. Stabler brings in the chess piece. She's going to try and get prints off Vanessa's body to see if they match Donovan's. Corner Warner has a shit ton of stuff to work with. Vanessa's body had signs of vaginal trauma. Fluids from the perp were found along with skin cells from underneath her acrylic nails. <laughs> The cat from the crime scene is there. Cat from the crime scene is there looking over everything with Corner Warner. She's like, That's what I was trying to Can I get my suit back when this is done? <laughs> if you don't dry clean this before it's returned to me, I'm writing a letter. There was also blood under the cat's claws that matched the perp. They need Donovan's DNA. Corner Warner is sending the prince to ballistics to compare with the gun at the scene. In the ballistics lab, Munch and Toots go over the leads from the gun. Vanessa's prints are on the barrel of the gun. The wood handle is too textured to get prints, which is super weird to me because they've gotten prints off of like popcorn ceiling shit with the fucking (laughs) trampoline. There's also some greasy ass shit on the gun (laughs) that she's got to test. She did look up to see if the gun is registered. It is to Marvin Kligman on Park Avenue. Now we're at the Kligman residence. Toots and Munch are speaking with Marvin's wife. She tells him that Marvin is dead and he was in the diamond trade, which is dangerous. So that's why he had a gun. And Munch is like, oh, he was, was he? John DeMunch sends his <laughs> deepest condolences. Call back. Yes. <laughs> Mrs. Kligman says the gun is safe in her lockbox. They ask her if they can see it. Lockbox? Season one callback. Which one is that? Lockbox. Remember when? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. The realtor and that guy was just like, lockbox, lockbox. <laughs> I don't th- I think he maybe said it once or twice and we, but we were just grabbed, grabbed onto, onto it. it so, hard. Yeah. so Mrs. Kligman says the gun is safe in her lockbox. <laughs> they asked that her guy pops can- in. He's like, he's got a beard, just a huge fucking beard. He's like, I have been here for three fucking years. <laughs> You've been waiting. 
As she's going to get the box, she says that the only other person with access to it is her son, who lives in the dorms at the Hudson University. Oh my god, what's going to happen? Is it going to be empty? No idea. Mrs. Kligman opens the safe and she's like, it's gone. The gun is missing. Like, we all didn't know that. Yeah. What a surprise. They were like, don't even open it. We know it's not in there. On the Hudson University campus, a drunk cameraman spins us around a chat between Stabler, Benson, and Marvin Kligman's son, yes. Peter. It was just a wild camera choice. They did. They just put a camera on the Gravitron and let it go. <laughs> Peter, a 45-year-old real estate agent cosplaying as a college student. I wrote, also, this dude is 37. If he's a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his receding hair, like, no. I was trying to figure out who he was, and I'm just like, I don't remember you from, he didn't have, like, a list of credits, but I'm just like, you're someone's dad, <laughs> Cur- like, in 2003. Yeah. He doesn't know how someone got his dad's gun, but he does know Vanessa. After they press him for a bit, he caves and tells them he was going to sell the gun to pay off a gambling debt, which sounds like a thing a 45-year-old dad would have to do. But Dude, what is up with <laughs> early SVU and all these like teens having major gambling debts? <laughs> right? I don't know. I didn't know young people with this issue. So after they press him a bit, he caves and tells them that he was going to sell the gun to pay off his gambling debts. He says that Donovan lives down the hall from him, and Donovan's seen his gun and where he kept it. So, mm-hmm. implication. And I was like, including Vanessa's roommate. <laughs> so, I was so I was so thinking it was her. Who we never see again. Yeah, we never see her again. I thought that she was going to pop in as like the last twist. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Stabler gets a call in the middle of Peter answering one of his questions directly and just takes it. Just shoves a finger in Peter's mouth and takes the phone call. He's like, fuck you. It's Corner Warner, and she wants to talk to them. So they head to the M.E.'s office. Corner Warner has vaporized crazy glue and used it to get prints off of Vanessa's body. I looked it up. It's called the cyanoacrylate fuming method. But what I read specifically said the prints have to be on a non-porous item like glass or plastic. So this is like TV bullshit. I could be wrong. I could not find anything that said that this was possible on a human body. Right. So SVU isn't real. You guys. (laughs) But anyway, she's in this like chamber or whatever. They have Vanessa in this, you know, thing and they're smoking her out with this vaporized crazy glue to raise prints on her skin. A print Mm -hmm. was found on Vanessa's wrist on a bruise. The print Mm -hmm. is a 10 point match to Donovan Alvarez. Boom. Benny and Stabes double door kick punch their way into a lecture hall at U of H. They arrest Donovan and completely ignore the frantic criminal law professor asking them what's going on. I mean, they didn't even identify themselves as cops to him and they barely whispered Donovan's Miranda rights to him. So I'm like, these guys could have been kidnappers for all this professor knows. Yeah. Like show the damn teacher your badges. Yeah. The teacher's pissed and like is chasing after them with a coat. He's like, I'm coming, you know. Oh, I thought you meant like, Donovan, it's cold outside. Like, Put your jacket on. Oh, I, I was thinking you were going to think he was like trying to hit them with his coat. Like, yeah, get out of here. He hops on Stabler's back and he's like, hey, yeah. And Toots is like, oh, my God, I'll do it. Sorry. <laughs> now we're in the precinct. Benson and Stabler are interviewing Donovan. A swab from DNA is being taken from his cheek. Donovan says he didn't kill Vanessa. He was at the club because he was angry that she used his credit card and racked up thousands of dollars on crazy shit. They were arguing because Vanessa said that she had bigger problems than paying Donovan back. Benson's like, so you pulled the gun on her to let her know you were serious? And he's like, I don't know anything about a fucking gun. And then I wrote, oh my god, it's Vanessa's roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Vanessa's bruise on her wrist came from Donovan grabbing her because she was walking away when he was confronting her about the money she spent. The Mm -hmm. bandage on his neck is from shaving, and then he's like, Look, does this look like a fucking scratch to you? He does not understand why they don't believe him. And I'm like, duh. Right. Of course they don't believe you. You're covering for her roommate. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are in love. We're still in the precinct. Benson and Stabler are talking about Donovan's story. They don't really know what to believe, but they kind of think it's Donovan. Stabler has a note on his desk that says Vanessa's dad, Ray, called five times. And he's like, oh, my God. Fucking dads. Am I right? (laughs) 
You know what? I'd be calling too, though. If it was Marine. Yeah. If it was Marine, if it was Marine or one of the kids or Kath. Craigan comes in. DNA from the lab is back. The skin under Vanessa's fingernails, the semen, and the blood found on the cat are all one person, but not Donovan. Stabler thinks Vanessa had sex with someone else, then Donovan killed her. Like, let it go. Craigan says they can't hold Donovan anymore. His professor that saw him get arrested with a coat, remember? Mm-hmm. He called and got a lawyer for him. Good for you. Yeah. Well, especially because they came in like fucking dicks. Right. He didn't know what was going on. Maybe if he would have given him the smallest bit of information. Mm-hmm. Also, it's totally fine that he did that. Like, get him a lawyer. Yeah. Vanessa's dad, Ray, comes into the precinct and Stabler's like, what are you doing here, dude? He's like, well, I called, but I didn't get a call back. So I just came down for some news. Stabler can't tell him anything and he wants him to go back home. But Ray can't sleep. All he sees is his daughter Vanessa's face in the morgue. Oh. Ray. Stabler tells him as soon as he has news, he'll call him. And then Ray takes off. Benson is going through Vanessa's call logs and sees that she had called the Rape Crisis Center multiple times in the two weeks prior to her death. Benson and Stabler are at the Rape Crisis Center. The employee at the center says Vanessa called about 20 times, but she never gave her her last name. She didn't want to push Vanessa too hard because she was afraid she would stop calling. So Vanessa wasn't exactly sure if she had been raped, so she called to go over what was happening to her. Vanessa told this lady that she was with someone who made her have sex in public places and liked to degrade her. Benson jumps in and says, why didn't she call the police? And I know this question was just to move the conversation along, Mm -hmm. but no. Yeah. She was scared to say no to him because when she did, he would beat her up. The woman had given Vanessa the SVU's number, but she wasn't ready and she was super depressed. Vanessa never told her the name of the guy, but said it was her boss who was raping her. Benson and Stabler are now chatting with Perry Williams, Vanessa's boss, about his relationship with her. Before I even IMDB this Mm -hmm. dude, I'm clocking him as a fucking soap actor. This was me in real time as I'm taking these notes. He's got his shirt fully open, popping pecs, a little necklace. He looks like he's going as Jeff Probst for Halloween. And he has like an uh, Australian accent. And he, he's, or... he, he's got a very light. At first, I'm like, oh, is that an Aussie accent I detect? <laughs> thinking no I, way. Thinking I really, <laughs> no way. Thinking I really spotted it. But it was pretty obvious after a while. But it was, it's pretty, uh, it's light. It's oh. not real, is it? I don't know. I didn't look into that because I did. I, I kept diving in too deep this episode and I'm like, stay on task, Tasha. But post my IMDb dive, fucking 17 episodes of The Young and the Restless and 212 episodes of As the World Turns. Kobe, <laughs> I did it. I, this guy looks he's the he is what a soap opera is as a person. Yeah. Um, he was also in a short called A Margarita with Hot Salami. I just thought I wanted to, <laughs> to let you know that. He tells them that he doesn't know anything. He was in the VIP room when all the shit went down in the club. They confront him about sleeping with Vanessa, and he goes, Well, now I see someone's been talking behind my back. (laughs) I don't think it's real because he, I feel like he went in and out of it during the episode. Oh, I gotta look now. Fuck. when When he was sitting at the table... When they were interviewing me, he's like, hey, guys. And then and then and then sort of brought his Australian accent back. And I immediately thought that he was doing that to sound a certain way at the club. But it wasn't. OK, his name is Paul Layden and he is chiseled out of stone. And he borrowed that tub of Vaseline because he was like Glistening. glossy the whole time. Paul I bet Layden. you he looks hot as an older guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very hot, but like, oh, he is a hot older guy. <laughs> yeah, he's Australian. Huh. Well, he sucks at his own accent. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, dude. So he's like, now I see somebody's been talking behind my back. (laughs) And Benny goes, well, then let's talk openly in our squad room. Just then a woman comes in and is like, baby, I'm leaving. Oh, And he pushes her up against a wall like a soap star does and breathes goodbye into her face. (laughs) Awkward in front of other people. Yeah, she's like... I hope you call me. And he's like, you know I will. You know I will. <laughs> Would you, I'm sorry, if, if if the guy that you boned is talking to two detectives and you had to leave, wouldn't you just kind of leave? Wouldn't you just be like, hey, hold on, everybody. Hun, I'm going to take off. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be, you'd be like, I'm just going to get off. The audacity. But also, she was also hot. So, like, that's a she thing that hot, hot yeah. people are just like, oh, I have something to say. So anyway, Benny's like, come down to the precinct, dude. We want to talk to you. You're not under arrest, though. And he's like, all right, I will, but I'm bringing a lawyer. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
at the precinct, they've moved this whole conversation to a conference room, but they have now added Perry's lawyer. Oh, hello, Agent Dwight Harris from 24 episodes of The Sopranos. Also, he played Bob in the critically shit on Hannah has a hoe phase. Never seen it. I haven't either. This is his third appearance on SVU also, this lawyer. Anyway, Perry's dressed like if David Copperfield was a vampire. (laughs) Perry admits that he had sex with Vanessa in the alley that night and that the DNA would match because the alley cat clawed his ass a bunch. He's also such a fucking creep about this whole thing. Yeah. He's like, rape? I don't have to force women to have sex with me. I don't have to force women. (laughs) Women. (laughs) And right. And also, that's not what rape is about. But like, they didn't even cover that. They're like, sure. This guy like buys button ups. And then as soon as he gets home, takes all the buttons off. So he has to not ever button his shirt up. I say later that his limit of buttoning his shirt is four buttons. (laughs) I said something about (laughs) his. I think it's when they're in court. I said something like that. He tells them that he followed Vanessa into the alley when she went out there with Donovan because he wanted to make sure they weren't having a quickie because he doesn't like to share. Perry Mm -hmm. saw Donovan get in a cab. Perry says he and Vanessa then had sex in the alley, and then he went back inside. And then Benson says, oh, yeah, because ladies love being on their knees in dirty alleyways. And he says, this piece of shit Mm -hmm. says Vanessa grew to like being half naked in dirty alleyways. He says, once you got past the schoolgirl thingy, she was a very adventurous woman. And Stabler straightens it all out for us, staring against a fucking wall, by the way, and goes, "Okay." so she fought with her boyfriend, had sex with you, and then a third guy came along and killed her. Got it. And he goes, truth is stranger than fiction. Ugh. It was so gross. And then yeah, he's it, such a creep about this whole thing. Yeah. And it reminded me of remember a couple of episodes ago when he like brought this like 14 year old to Prague and said she was an adventurous woman. And we were like, fuck you. She's 14. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Ugh. Benny and Stabler let Perry know that they know about him abusing Vanessa and that they have fucking witnesses. The lawyer says that Perry has answered all of their questions. So bye. So Perry Perry saw Donovan get in the cab. Perry says Vanessa and him had sex, and then he went back inside. And then I wrote, oh, my God, her roommate had been following D because she was in (laughs) love with him and was so mad at Vanessa for cheating on him because he's such a good guy. (laughs) So off. When do you give it it up? When do you give it up? It's like fucking Toyota. Oh, my God, she never came back. Yeah, that was it was pretty much when there was like three minutes left and they were like the jury stood up. I'm like, it's it's over. <laughs> you thought she was going to tuck and roll out of a Toyota pickup truck. <laughs> I don't like, know. I thought I did it. As Perry and his lawyer are leaving, Benny and Staves are walking them out. Vanessa's dad is walking into the precinct, Ray. So then there's like this exchange where he's like, oh, sorry about your daughter or whatever. This yeah. is sorry about your daughter. I thought I was doing really great. And it's it's not. I'm going to I'm going to go back and edit and be like, wow, Tasha, you were really off. Perry's such a fuck in this. Like, he why really he say anything to his dad? Like, right. he's like, hey, are you the dad? I'm her boss. Yeah. She was really sweet. And he was just chomping at the bit for the questions of like, wait a minute. How did you know my daughter? Wait, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just answering a few questions okay. about my relationship with you, dude. And Ray was kind of like he did this quick math and goes to a 10, lunges at Perry yelling you raped and murdered my daughter but before he can get to him stabler dad hugs him from behind and he's like let him go he's not worth it we're better than this dads and he's like yeah dads and fucking perry's yelling back i didn't have to rape her and i sure didn't kill her so gross fucking so hot and so gross (laughs) so stabler and ray go to talk upstairs stabler tells ray dude it's been three days I'm working my ass off to do my job and solve this. You've got to quit coming here. But Ray's just begging him for something. You know what I mean? Like, you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs at home. His daughter's dead. Yeah, he's like, I don't give a shit about my job. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You're never going to make an arrest. Ugh, you know? And Stabler's cop defenses are down. Because again, dad, dad's dad to dad, they're going to dad. So Stabler mm-hmm. lets him know, which he shouldn't have, that they're looking into Perry for raping Vanessa. He doesn't say that Perry did it. He's saying, we're looking into him. Yeah. But they can't hold him when they have nothing. Right. And Ray is like just he's like begging him. Tell me something, you know, anything. Yeah. What's in your heart? Do you think it's him? And Stabler's just like, we may never know, you know. Oh, God. And Staves is frustrated. Oh, my God. Is it frustrating, Stabler, when someone doesn't understand your job and all the legal restrictions you had? Like, oh, my God. Where did that come from? And Cabot's at the bottom of the stairs. And she's like, me, motherfucker. Right. (laughs) Isn't it frustrating when somebody wants you to do something that you don't have power to do? (laughs) right anyway ray leaves 
yeah, he really wanted to know if Stabler thought that Perry rapes Vanessa or not. Oh, and here's what I wrote. And I know he's going to take that as a yes and do some vigilante shit and kill Perry, even though it wasn't him. It was her roommate. I stand by it. That's what I I wrote. Now we're at the precinct. It's at night. Stabler's sitting at his desk. Benson tells him to go home to Kath and the kids. There's nothing they can do tonight. Stabler's like, who? (laughs) I don't even know who these people are. He's like, we got to get this bastard. And Benny says, there are plenty of bastards, dude. Why this one? And he says, you know why. Because he has daughters? Okay. Mm-hmm. Stabler goes to make a phone call and Benson leaves. Stabler tells the person on the other end of the phone to run the test tonight. Now Stabler's at the ballistics lab. Tests ran on the greasy shit and the gun came back. <laughs> lanolin, talc, and tobacco. The lanolin and talc match Vanessa's skincare products. The tobacco matches the cigarette from her purse. So the conclusion is Vanessa was carrying the gun. Stabler thinks that Vanessa tried to defend herself, but the perp took the gun and shot her. Not quite. The gunpowder residue on Vanessa's hands don't match defensive patterns. The lab thinks Vanessa shot herself based on the way the prints are on the gun and the fucking powder got on her hands. Vanessa killed herself? In the precinct the next morning, the squad discusses the ballistic lab's findings. Stapler says that Vanessa being raped by Perry caused her to kill herself. Benson thinks that she brought the gun to shoot Perry, but lost her nerve. She was raped again by Perry, and Toots thinks it was the last straw and she killed herself. Everybody's got their own opinion about what's going on. Benson wants to see if Vanessa told someone in person other than on the phone with the rape crisis center lady. But no one even seems to have known what was going on, except for her roommate. (laughs) (laughs) I I held on to it, man. You're right most of the time, but this is like, um, I don't don't know if I've ever seen you be so intent on mentioning it and be so wrong. I got to own up to shit, man. She's like studying for midterms and she's like, oh my God, what? (laughs) Kwong's beautiful ass pops out behind Toots and says, Vanessa's toxicology report shows that she had lithium in her system for bipolar disorder, which explains a lot about her mood changes suddenly. But the small amount in her blood means that she stopped taking her medicine, he thinks, about a week before. Stabler says, this is a woman who suffered in silence. Now I have to tell her dad his only daughter killed herself. Also, this is where I'm like, oh, cool, great. Now we're going to call her crazy. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to, you know what? It's fine. If you're new to the pod, I have bipolar and it's annoying when they talk about this shit when people don't know. People think you're just like fucking wilding out. Right. And even though I'm super open about it, like I still feel weird when I like say it for the first time or if people hear about it for the yeah, first time. Like- because people are like afraid of people that are dealing with mental illness. And it's like, relax i can hurt you or steal from you i'm medicated no i'm kidding i didn't i've never hurt anybody okay i'm gonna fight that old lady though no i'm just kidding okay so benson and stabler meet with ray ray is upset at the news that vanessa killed herself and refuses to believe that vanessa had mental illness stabler tells him to check in with corner warner so she can explain how the lab came to their conclusion because they're not Mm going to convince him you know yeah He's like, thanks, I will. As Ray is processing this, he tells them that Vanessa never told him that she was seeing a psychiatrist. And Stabler thinks maybe she was ashamed because, quote, no daughter wants to disappoint her father. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whatever. I do fall into that category, but like, relax, Stabler. I love disappointing my father. (laughs) I live to disappoint my father. (laughs) It's like, sorry, you're going to love me no matter what. Your fault. (laughs) You set this up, motherfucker. (laughs) Ray doesn't think any of this has to do with her mental health. He blames Perry Williams. (laughs) He blames Perry Williams, that maximum three-button shirt-wearing hack. (laughs) He tells the detectives Perry fucking murdered her even if he didn't pull the trigger. Unfortunately, that's not something that's going to hold up in this case. Yeah. They're like, okay, yeah, Ray, we need to talk to her doctor. So Ray tells them that she'd been using the university health services and then politely asks them to fuck off because he needs to be alone to process all this shit. This doctor at Hudson University Health Services is Jonathan Silverman and Colin Hanks mashed together. (laughs) Do you you remember Jonathan Silverman? Yeah. He's really? No, I don't. (laughs) Hold on. Never mind. He was. Oh. There was a show that he was in. He was the main character called The Single Guy from the late 90s. And I don't know why I was allowed. I wasn't allowed to watch fucking Doogie Howser and shit. Well, I guess it was the late 90s. That was oh, yeah, an older teenager. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have in my notes. Remember the show The Single Guy from the late 90s? And then immediately after I said, well, I do. Because <laughs> I assumed you were going to say no. <laughs> no. 
I didn't know who he was, but I, I, when I saw his face, I was like, oh yeah, duh. I know that guy. Anyway, this is, this is a doctor. He tells them that with the prescription that he had given Vanessa and therapy, she had been making progress. And the last time he saw her, she wasn't suicidal. Vanessa had mentioned Perry to him in sessions. This doctor's like, yeah, this Perry guy, he was making her drink and stop taking her meds. And the detectives are like, oh my God, why do you think? And he's like, well, it's kind of a leap for a mental health doctor to speculate, and most good ones wouldn't do this, but... I think that he was trying to control and abuse her. And he liked crazy girls. Yeah, and, like, he liked being with an unstable party girl. You've never met this guy. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that it's just I've I've talked to enough mental health professionals, good ones and not great ones. It's just I'm it's a show. The doctor tells them that Vanessa was also keeping a therapy journal. But mm. where is it? At the precinct, Benson and Staves have Vanessa's journal. I have this in my notes, okay? This is my official on-record statement telling you, Gabe, that when I, Tasha, die, I need you to suck up your fucking grief, go to my house, and remove anything you know that I would want gone. I'm not sure what that means right now because I, like, don't keep a journal or anything, but, like, go through my phone, take my computer. What are on your computer? I don't, I don't know right now. I don't know, but, like, something embarrassing, I'm sure. I don't know. Just protect I like me. I would, okay, I'll protect you. Okay. <laughs> Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Keep it safe. <laughs> That's all I should have said, and you would have understood it. Yeah. Also, I hate a lot of this questioning. He, like, literally asks this guy, why did Vanessa keep going back to him? Because, duh, that's how fucking abuse works. Right. Like, why do you even ask that? Right. Vanessa's roommate hid the journal from Vanessa's dad for obvious reasons that we'll get into in a second. I wonder why. There's a lot of information. Well, we'll get into it right now. For I ob- wonder why for Vanessa's obvious reasons. roommate. <laughs> For obvious reasons, there's a lot of information about graphic sex stuff that Perry did to Vanessa, and she writes it in a way that implies she was not into it. Doesn't imply. She literally says, like, not here for this. Cabot argues that Perry would need to confess, but he'll argue that it wasn't rape, just rough consensual sex. Cabot says that she could probably get what Vanessa told her therapist in based on the outcry exception to the hearsay rule, which we've talked about in the past. Okay. Benson reads Cabot an entry in the journal that outlines Vanessa's abuse. Quote, I'm still bleeding from last night. I should go to the hospital, but I'm too embarrassed to tell anyone. When I said I couldn't have sex tonight, he punched me so hard I couldn't breathe. Who is going to read that and think that that is rough consensual sex? Right. It's just yeah. nuts. Cabot agrees to go after Perry for the rape and tells them to advise Ray to file a civil suit against Perry to clean him out. Benny and Staves now are walking and talking out of the precinct when Corner Warner pops up like, mm, hey guys, so I kind of fucked up. Ray had, like Stabler had told him to, gone in to talk to Corner Warner to get clarity on how Vanessa died Mm -hmm. and why she ruled it a suicide. As she was walking him through everything, she had mentioned the oral sodomy because she thought he knew the details of her death. Mm -hmm. Mm, Staves had not shared that with him. Dad's protecting dads. And Ray got really fucking upset. Corner Warner is telling Staves that as Ray left, he was mumbling something about a club. And Stabler's like, oh shit. Gets all worried. Yeah, the music gets all wild. Mm-hmm. And he takes Oof. off. Benson and Stabler show up. They're in the alley behind the club where Vanessa worked at. Mm-hmm. CSU is there. Perry slumped up against the wall in the back alley behind the club. He was shot. Benson asks where Ray is, but the responding officer says that there was no one else on scene when they arrived. Stabler's like, we fucking had Perry, dude. And Benson's like, fucking snap out of it. Ray still got the gun. Let's fucking go. They yeah. gotta find him. So they go to Ray's house. Oh my god. You had just said the music. The music this episode is brought to us by the 90s band prodigy oh my god yes benson stabler fucking squeal up to ray's house in their car other officers come outside and one of them tells benson stabler that they sweep the house and they don't find ray uh fucking farva this guy oh my god i just i wrote i wasn't even there oh my god hold on like holy shit yeah the the cop takes a call over the radio and tells Stabler that there's an there's a dude in Central Park with a gun to his head matching Ray's description. I'm like, okay, this cop was very helpful, by the way. Right. Also, he reminded me of Officer Farva from Super Troopers. Yeah. You want cream? No cream? Okay. Okay. <laughs> And it says, post that, vid- post that video of Abby. Oh, we need to, yeah. So yeah. when we used to do Dub Smash, like when Dub Smash was huge, we, all three of us, used to 
pop them over to each other. And would, I would like spend too much time putting a dub smash together. Mm-hmm. And Abby just anyway, okay. yeah. Staves yeah, is like pharma. yeah. Staves is like nobody talked to him but me about going to the park and seeing Ray. So Benson and Stabler show up at Central Park. There's a bunch of cops standing way off in the distance, mm-hmm. which is great. So I was thinking that they were going to be there and just shoot them. Can we hit the IRL here for a quick second and acknowledge that there's a black man in a public park holding a gun. He yeah. would have been shot by the cops who found him before Farva could say shenanigans. Right. <laughs> you oh, but anyway, no, I forgot. That's what we're talking about. We're going to post the video of Ab- Abby did a Farva one that we were like, we're going to be done doing dub smashes now because this what you yeah. can't get better than I still think Farva. about it sometimes that I'm like, <laughs> who wants cream? <laughs> no cream? No cream? Okay. Stabler approaches him very slowly. Benson's got a gun on him. She's like, don't do anything, Ray. He's upset. He doesn't know how to end this pain. He feels like he has nothing now. Vanessa needed help, and he felt like she couldn't go to him. Yeah. And it's eating them alive. He came to the pond because it was Vanessa's favorite place when she was a kid. Stabler is kind of getting like lower and lower on the ground and closer and closer. And he's telling him that all these memories of Vanessa are alive in him. And the only way she'll die is if he dies. And he's just bawling. <sighs> and Stabler slowly gets the gun from Ray's hand and gives it to Benson and then hugs Ray as he like cries into his shoulder. Dad on dad stuff. Oh my God. It was just breaking my fucking heart. I'm like, go develop Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the glass Cabot comes in and is upset that Stabler got Ray a lawyer one of the best defense lawyers in town she was like I was expecting you to get a confession from yeah. the perp right. and Stabler's like pissed that she called Ray a perp Yeah. Stabler doesn't think that Ray deserves to go to prison or whatever Cabot says she doesn't fucking condone vigilantism and is not going to let Stabler get in the way of her doing her job Right. Yes. and Stabler's like I did my job I arrested him he's all yours bitch and like walks out And he, I mean yeah he did. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I still brought him in. I didn't give him a head start. Right. In the interrogation room, Ray has his best in town lawyer, Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. I love her. Also, Cabot is there and they're dealing it up. Viola Davis wants him to be charged with manslaughter and get probation based on extreme emotional disturbance. Cabot argues that Ray's actions were fucking deliberate and his mental state didn't create a loss of control. So Viola D's like, Cabot, dude, why don't you just have Huang evaluate Ray? And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Let's do it. So now Ray and Huang are in the darkest room I've ever seen as mm-hmm. Ray tells the good doctor what happened. It's just a weird choice. I get that it's for drama, but it's like if I was in that room, I'd be like, can we get some light in here? I'm trying to take fucking notes. Like, what is it? <laughs> can I at least get a headlamp or something? <laughs> Ray tells Huang that a co-worker gave him the gun. Ray went to the club and pretended to have an appointment with Perry. He waited in his office and then confronted him about raping his daughter. Perry denied it, probably like such a douche, and then told Ray that Vanessa liked what he did to her. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm listening to him talk to Huang, and I'm like, oh my god, too many steps. He's not going to skate on this. Oh no. I know. he's very. It was deliberate, for sure. Very. The plan, everything. Like, yeah. Huang talks to Ray like he's a mom talking to a five-year-old and goes, Ray, how did Perry end up in the alley? You got to tie your shoes before you walk to the bus. You're going to trip. Take a jacket. <laughs> Fucking professor runs in and he's like don't forget your jacket (laughs) ray goes on and says that perry begged and promised he would tell the cops the truth but ray didn't believe him put the gun in perry's mouth and fucking pulled the trigger he made uh him get on his knees just like he had done to vanessa yeah oh yeah he's like i'll tell the i'll tell the truth and fucking he's like nope no more i'm done and fucking boom ha boom Okay. Haboom. Huang goes over his talk with Ray, with Cabot and the squad. Huang is not buying Ray's insanity defense because he made clear, logical, and deliberate choices down to even imitating the oral sodomy mm-hmm. by shooting Perry in the mouth. Yeah. Stabler's all pissed and really wants Ray to not go down for this as a dad. Cabot says <laughs> that they're going to fight Ray. What? As a dad. The way as you said dad. it was really hard. <laughs> Cabot says that they're going to fight Ray's defense and that Ray's lawyer will probably try to get jury nullification to acquit Ray out of sympathy. And then Stabler's like, well, they should. And then Cabot's like, look, dude, I'm not mourning Perry. I'm just not rolling over for Ray either. Because she's doing her job. Yeah. Stabler feels guilty for not stopping Ray. He thinks he should have known what Ray was going to do because I would have done the same thing. And Benson's like, no, you fucking wouldn't. And Stabler, not surprisingly, says, well, wait till you're a parent. I hate that shit. And Benson's like, hell no. Don't throw that fucking crap at me. You made a mistake. Stabler turns around and like cocks his head to the side like he's got long nails or something. And he's like, (laughs) "Um, 
blink, blink, blink. <laughs> what did you just say to me? And Benson's like, dude, you let Ray in. Then Sabler says, you're right. He got to me and now I'm responsible. And I'm like, bro, fucking go to Al-Anon or get a therapist no or shit. something. You know what I mean? I wrapped up this scene and was like, is Stabler going to start dad court? Court for dads? <laughs> Everybody is put to death. <laughs> it's just a it's just a big guillotine. Oh dad court on it. Oh, my God. I'm not even going to start. So I just pictured, like, the guy who fucking unleashes the guillotine is wearing jorts and a braided belt and new balances, but also one of those black hoods. Yeah. Like an American flag t-shirt. He's got the rope in one hand and a fucking massive turkey sandwich in the other <laughs> hand. <laughs> At the trial, Ray takes the stand and... He says he doesn't remember leaving the nightclub. The next thing he remembers was sitting at the park by the lake planning to shoot himself so he could be with Vanessa. Oh, I, I typoed it. Cabo's turn. <laughs> Cabot. Cabot's turn. She asks Ray if he blames Perry for Vanessa's death. And he's like, um, yeah, he raped her and that's why she killed herself. Cabot brings up Vanessa's bipolar diagnosis and asks if that was Perry's fault. And I was like, ooh. Mm, I know. Well, Ray says, dude, he lowered her self-esteem and convinced her to stop taking her meds, which is a very mm. legitimate argument. And I forgot, I didn't look back at it, but there was, remember when that dude killed his wife and she, she had like fled the abuse and then came back with the kids and then he was like in his mom's yeah. basement or in his mom's yep. like apartment in the basement and then came up and killed her. I can't mm -hmm. remember what sort of abuse that was called. There's a lot more laws now around this that kind of abuse, which is very manipulative. Yeah. And so that is an argument that can be made. But unfortunately, yeah. Perry's dead. So it's something you can't really argue because he can't come back, you know. So anyway, they go back and forth whether it was consensual or not. And Cabot's like, dude, you don't know that he raped her. You have no evidence beyond that's just what you think. Mm -hmm. Ray says that and he goes, actually... Detective Stabler told me that oh Perry God. raped Vanessa. Cabot's face, she's like, um, I'm sorry, what? Mm. And then Ray's lawyer's face is like, uh, yoink, I'll be taking that info, you right. know? Yeah. I knew this shit was going to come back to bite Stabler, like, obviously. Right, of course. So in the very next scene, yeah. Cabot's sitting in her office, and Stabler pops his head in and says, Cabo San Lucas, you calling me to the stand? Uh, shut up, <laughs> Cabot. <laughs> Cabot. Did you did you write that? No. Oh my god, that's funny. Cabot. Cabot. Are you calling me to the stand? She goes, uh no, the defense is. You're their star witness. Dick. Yeah, he has like no idea what's going on. Cabot tells Stabler that Ray told the court that Stabler told him that Perry raped Vanessa. And Stabler's like, no, I didn't. I said that he was a suspect, that we were looking at him. That's it. And guess what? Fuck Perry. I'm glad he's dead. Dad court. Yeah. Yeah. And Cabot just stays profesh because she does. And she goes, you gave premature information to an unstable man. You better be fucking ready when I cross-examine you. Mm -hmm. Bye. I love that you mean you wrote like the exact same thing, only only would be put fucking in different places. <laughs> Where did uh, you put it? You fucking better be ready when I cross-examine you. And you wrote, you better be fucking ready when I cross <laughs> Now we're back in the fucking courtroom. Ray's lawyer questions Stabler. Stabler doesn't remember the conversation word for word when he told Ray they were looking at Perry for rape. Mm -hmm. And when he said, we're going to, quote, get that guy, he meant the killer, not specifically Perry. Yeah. He said, we're um, going to get the guy. Mm -hmm. Ray's lawyer is asking if at the time he made it seem like they couldn't ever arrest Perry when he spoke with Ray. And he's like, no, dude. <sighs> what the fuck? Now it's Cabot's turn. Cabot asks about the statement he made to Ray. She's basically saying that Stabler gave Ray his opinion, but had no evidence for anything. It's weird to see them like toe to toe in court. Mm -hmm. Stabler's like, there was fucking Perry's DNA on Vanessa's body. And Cabot's like, yeah, that only means that sex took place. Like, what else do you have? She asks him why he would give Ray his opinion. And Stabler says, because he needed something to hold on to. Stabler admits that the sympathy for Ray made him tell him about the case and make the statement about arresting Perry. Mm -hmm. When Cabot asked Stabler if he condoned Ray murdering Perry, he takes this long time looking around and she's like, detective? And he's like, uh, no, it was wrong. But you know he was lying. Well, and you know? I thought that he would say as a cop, mm -hmm. as a detective, no, not cool. But as a dad, yeah. 
Yeah. He said it with his eyes. He did. Yeah. I mean, he looked at Ray like, oh, he didn't want to say it. He's pumped that Perry was killed. Right. And Cabot ends the scene with an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. She's a Gandhi quote, right? Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't reference Gandhi. Mm -hmm. She just says it like fucking slam dunk, dude. Yeah. The camera's up in her face. Like all of America was like... Right. You know? It was like, that was profound when Gandhi said it. Now it's like... Like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Tape it inside your locker. (laughs) Yeah. Get it tattooed on your fucking... whatever so oh the jury my God. verdicts get a comes. get the fucking what is it the scales lady blindfolded and then a ribbon of <laughs> an eye for an eye Taylor's like i'm glad perry's dead okay <laughs> the jury comes back he is found guilty of murder in the second degree stabler goes up to ray as he is cuffed and taken out of court and he's like dude i'm sorry but ray's like i'm not which was awesome yeah i'd do it again and that's it toyota man and toyota This episode doesn't have a particular case attached to it, but because of the dad stuff throughout the whole thing and the vigilantism and whatever, one case in particular popped into my head that I couldn't get out. And I'm actually surprised they didn't mention it during the episode Hmm. just because there's a lot of alignment there. But there is a Law & Order regular episode based on this case. I'm going to tell you about Gary Plouchet. Just the smallest amount of background. Gary was born Leon Gary Plouchet on November 10th, 1945, and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. As an adult, he and his wife, June, had four kids, Leon Gary Jr., Joseph, whom they called Jody, Jeffrey, and Sissy. When the kids were fairly young, Gary and June divorced, but Gary maintained a tight relationship with his kids. Every Saturday Mm -hmm. night, they would get together with family and play board games, followed the next day by a big family dinner at Gary's mom's house, the kid's grandma. So he had a great relationship with his kids. So two of the boys, including Jody and one of the neighborhood friends, went to some karate classes at the local studio. They liked it so much, they ended up joining what's called a fighting team and began traveling to tournaments and practicing multiple times a week. They were coached by 24-year-old Jeff Doucette. The kids at the karate studio loved Jeff. He was very involved with all of them. He'd take kids to the movies or skating outside of class. He was super well-liked. Jeff became an important figure in Jody's life, which then extended into getting close with the whole Pluchet family. In an interview that I have attached in the show notes, Jody tells the story of how Jeff became so close with the family. Gary, Jody's dad, remember, had invited Jeff over for family dinner after practice one Saturday night. Once dinner was over, Gary and Jody drove Jeff home. He was staying at the karate studio, so they actually just drove him back there. He lived there alone. Jeff had relocated from Port Arthur, Texas at one point, so he had no real friends or family in the area at all. Mm -hmm. After they dropped him off and went back home, Gary's sitting in the car with Jody and just starts crying. And Jody's like, Dad, what's up? Are you okay? And Gary's like, that poor guy. He has no one. He's all alone. And just gushing this fatherly empathy. Mm -hmm. Well, he was like, fuck it. And he turned the car around, went back and picked Jeff up, brought him back to their house, had him shower, gave him a shirt from his own closet, and had him spend the night there, and then go with the family to his mom's for family dinner the next day. Mm-hmm. After that, Jeff became a fixture. Like, Gary really took him under his wing. How old is um, Jody, by the way? At this time, Jody's 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we all know where this is going. I've already mentioned it. Jeff was grooming Jody and his family. Little did they know, he had a history of sexually molesting boys. He even had a charge at one point that was erased from the record. Why? I don't know. Hmm. I just read that he had been charged with sexual molestation and it was erased from the record. He spent quite some time gaining the trust of Jody and his family. And then in March of 1983, Jeff began touching Jody inappropriately. It quickly escalated from there, and by June, he was regularly not only molesting Jody, but raping him. Jody's 10. Mm-hmm. Almost every day, sometimes twice a day. Jesus Christ. And Jody kept quiet. He didn't understand what was going on because he really liked Jeff, and he didn't want to upset his parents or get Jeff in trouble, but he knew that he wanted it to stop. This really breaks my heart for so many reasons, but in an interview that I listened to, Jody talked about his mom actually having a conversation with him and his siblings about coming to her or their dad if someone ever did anything like that to them like Mm -hmm. the conversation that we all need to have with our kids and Jody actually recounted the first time that Jeff had touched him and how it popped into his mind oh shit Jeff is one of these people that my mom was talking about Mm -hmm. 
but still didn't say anything because he felt like he couldn't. He just couldn't. Yeah. Like he had the support and the resources to be protected. And I'm just like screaming and pulling my hair out going like, what more can we do? His mom mm-hmm. tried. Yeah. I mean, so <sighs> what? I know. Those molesters are so fucking good at what they do. You know what I mean? Like the grooming stuff and like the, you know what I mean? Not that, but like, mm-hmm. it's just. Just getting people to trust them. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to leave my kid with you unless you absolutely don't want to hang out with them. You have to be so indifferent about acknowledging my kids at all. If you even say hi to them, I'm like, stop it. <laughs> this proceeds to go on for an entire year. During this year, Jeff had been making some sketchy and bad business decisions. He owed people money. He was writing bad checks and he was looking at jail time. He had mentioned to Jody that he was going to go to California, and when he did, he would take Jody with him. Jody didn't want to go, but still didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And then on February 19th, it was Darla's birthday, 1984, around 9 a.m., Jeff went to Jody's mom and said he would like to take Jody with him to look at some carpet at another karate studio kid's house. I don't think Jody was going to look at the carpet. I think he was just sort of like, hey, does he want to come play with this kid or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. As soon as he got Jody in the car and turned to go in the opposite direction, he told Jody that they were headed to California. <sighs> Jeff drove in Jody's mom's vehicle, by the way. He borrowed Jody's mom's car. He drove them to Port Arthur, Texas, where his mom was. And he and Jody spent the night at her house and then took a bus the rest of the way to LA. Over the next week, Jeff took Jody to Disneyland, the Hollywood sign. They watched them filming Hill Street Blues, with which Jody was like, that was so cool, mm-hmm. you know, and he still says because Jody was trying to make the best of it, right? Because they would go to the hotel at the end of the day and he would be raped. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is an 11 year old trying to process oh, what's happening. Yeah. The motel they were staying at was in Anaheim, California, literally 10 minutes from Disneyland. Mm-hmm. After 10 days, Jeff told Jody he could call his mom and he called her collect They talked for over 20 minutes, and at this time after a collect call, the person paying for the call would get transferred back to the operator where they would be told the charges and whatever. Mm -hmm. So when June, Jody's mom, was sent back to the operator, they then had the local sheriff get on the phone with the operator and be like, hey, hi, we need to know exactly where that call was coming from because that child is been kidnapped, kidnapped yeah. currently the operator gives them the information they were able to get it down to the fucking room number the next thing jody and jeff knew police were pounding at the door to arrest jeff and save jody the next day on march 1st jody flew home to his family about two weeks later on march 16th 1984 gary jody's dad was having lunch at the cotton club with a friend bob shadell bob happened to work at gary's old job the local news station wbrz channel 2 mm-hmm. this guy was like hey i heard they're bringing your boy home today you know talking about fucking jeff and gary was like i thought he was already here and he's like no i'm pretty sure he's supposed to be flying in today because the news crew is gonna go down to the airport and whatever i'm gonna go call and make sure i'm gonna go call and see what's up dude goes to the payphone makes a call and he's like yeah he's gonna he's gonna be here they're gonna land at 908 p.m mm-hmm. okay cut to just before 9 30 two officers are escorting jeff Doucette through the baton rouge airport one of them is mike barnett he happened to be an old friend of gary Pluchet. Mm-hmm. As they passed a phone bank, which used to be a thing, it's just a collection of pay phones. This was at the airport. Anyway, nobody had a phone on them. But as they passed this phone bank, a man in a hat and sunglasses spun around and put a snub nose 38 to Jeff Doucette's ear and blew his fucking head off. Shit. It was Jody's dad, Gary. Whoa. Officer Mike Barnett screamed, why Gary? Gary, why? Before restraining Jody's father. And it was all caught on camera by a news crew doing the follow-up story on the return of Jody from weeks before. Whoa. yeah it went all over the media this was on camera it says that it was live it's funny because jody's like such a he he's done a lot of interviews and stuff mm-hmm. and he's very like yeah they say it's live it wasn't live it happened at like 9 30 and then the news was on at 10 so it's like recorded but it's not like live you know mm-hmm. it's just funny how he's like the detail of that is wrong the detail of this mm-hmm. you can still see this video too and i watched it is it gross um or it just happens too fast. I mean, in the uncut video, you do see I did gasp a little bit because they pan to Jeff. Was his head off though? 
No, it wasn't. I mean, figure of speech. Yeah. Blew his brains out. Is that a better way to? You see Gary turn. You hear the shot. And then Jeff just falls to the ground. Mm -hmm. You hear Mike Barnett scream, why, Gary? Gary, why? And just, Mm -hmm. like, push him against the phone bank to, like, take his gun and and just, like, holds him there. This other cop walks up and he's just, like, a regular cop. And he's, like, and some lady's crying. It's just because there were people gathered. Yeah. You know, just like, why is there a news crew here? Oh, is there a celebrity fucking coming to town? Whatever. This is Baton Rouge. This is in L.A. So there was kind of a crowd there, too. And just wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's pretty. Hmm. It's not quite faces of death, but it's it's kind of fucked up to see. But hmm. it was all over the news. They showed this shit. Crazy. Jeff was declared dead at the hospital the next day. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't going to make it regardless, but they like harvested his oh, organs he didn't, and shit. He like didn't die out on the scene not immediately they kept him going so they could like take his organs yeah there's no way he was gonna no Mm -hmm. gary spent the weekend in jail and then was released on monday he didn't even get fired from his job eventually gary would plead no contest to manslaughter and received a seven-year suspended sentence with five years of probation and 300 hours of community service he did not spend one day in prison for the murder of jeff Doucette. It doesn't look great that the judge was a frat brother of his, but I'm just going to leave that where it is. This guy was like, I'm going to make sure that you're not going to fucking prison. It's also been speculated that this was a setup that included police. Remember that Mike Barnett was friends with Mm -hmm. Gary, but Mike has since said that if I was going to be a part of a setup, I would have made sure that it wasn't on camera and I wouldn't have had it happen a few feet from my own fucking head. Right. There's a lot of controversy with it, but so many people are just like, yeah, we don't like vigilantes, but like fucking good, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially parents are just like, I would have done the same thing. He did what every parent would have wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't set a great precedent. Mm -mm. Yeah. But there was, I don't know. I'm glad he's dead. After this, Jody grew up, got a lot of help. He spent a number of years working at Victim Services Center of Montgomery County, just outside of Philadelphia in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. This kid took what fucking happened to him and made so much out of it. Mm -hmm. He was a counselor there. He was doing speaking engagements to kids as young as four, leading professional trainings for cops, school administrators, hospital staff, parents. He's just made this his life's work. In 2004, he was awarded the Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency Survivor Active of the Year Award. Mm. Mm. In 2019, Jody released a book called Why Gary Why. Again, he was like, actually, Mike said, why Gary, Gary, why? But people remember it as why Gary, why? And that's why I named my book that. He wrote this book. It's not only recounting the abuse that he endured and what his father did in response to it, but also really goes into depth on like how to protect your kids. And it's kind of a, a manual. He's like, I want every parent to read this book. Is his dad still alive? Uh, no, Gary passed away in 2014 at a nursing home in Baton Rouge. He died from complications of a stroke and he was only 68. Hmm. So none of the other siblings got molested or anything? No, Jody was one of many kids at the karate place that were abused by Jeff Doucette, but he was his favorite at the time. Mm. And when Jeff was arrested and was coming back, he had admitted to the police, like on the plane or whatever, he had admitted that he had been abusing Jody and many other kids, so many that he couldn't even tell them how many in his life he had abused. Jeez. I know you don't want me to say this, but I have not heard of that. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. I didn't know about it. I don't know how. Don't That's know crazy. It, when this episode was happening, like I could see Gary's face. He was wearing a white baseball hat and like aviators. He had a beard. What's his name? Gary Plazetti? No, Gary, Gary Pluchet. Fuck. It's crazy. But yeah, what parent doesn't want to fucking kill the man who raped their kid for over a year? I know. Yeah. Well, fuck. Toyota man. Toyota man. Toyota man. Strongest man. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, next week we got season four, episode 24, Perfect. Cops are like running through an alley after an armed robber and find a murdered 14-year-old and it leads the cops to a physician who specializes in reproduction therapy. What? For a 14-year-old? Why? Because it's SVU, baby. We'll find out next week. That's for you, baby. Rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. We are currently collecting ghost stories for our live show on October 28th. We'll be doing a little spooky Patreon episode, but if you are able to make it in person, we'll be at Forward Craft and Coffee, 7 p.m. 
Yep. Madison. If you're local and have a great ghost story, email us and you can, if you feel like it, you can come and say it on the microphone. Yeah. Come and tell us your story in person. Yeah. If you live in Australia and you want to come and tell your story, let us know and we'll have space for you. We love when you guys send us stuff. Uh, P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. And check out our Instagram at SVU Pod and join the Facebook group SVU Pod Elite Squad. I fucking love it so much. Also, hashtag little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. And if you have a small pod, hashtag that in your shit so other people can find you. Yeah. And join the Patreon. Please join it. Yeah. For every patron that joins, we're donating a dollar to a different charity every month. So if you have any that you would like to donate to, just email us and let us know about it. And maybe it'll be the charity of the month one month. Yeah. We'll be keeping it in the Spooniverse. Oh, my God. Hudson Spooniversity. Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got sidetracked. So just if you have a great fucking charity, we want to hear about it. We want to check it out. And it might be able to be a charity of the month. First of every month, however many patrons are in our fucking roster, that's the dollar amount that we'll be sending. Yeah. And that's it. And we love you. And goodbye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. What the fuck was he doing on that? He should be living on 15 pillows because he's so great. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> 15 pillows. That's Gabe's like peak of success. <laughs> I only got 14, but I'm going to get 15. <laughs> this guy's at 15 pillows. You can't get any higher. <laughs> my mom's great, but like to me, in my mind, she's like 11 pillows max. You know, she's a human being. <laughs> I only hang out with 15. Mm. I'm a... <laughs> I'm a Wisconsin uh, 14 <laughs> pillow, but like I'm an LA three pillow. So. <laughs> Just not there. Oh, shit. Why I'll never leave. Uh, <laughs> he has this little like. <laughs> that was not a horse. <laughs> there we go. I did it. <laughs> You're like, here, I'm going to do an impression of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> to our elite squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire. Can you giggle every fucking time? Do I really? Yeah, every <laughs> time you go, <laughs> Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac Attack, Casey W. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, so I'm just going to leave it open why. for it. I don't know why I do that. Stupid Casey kinda. W., Abby W., Alexis J., Lauren T., Cassandra S., Kaylin B., Camilla Z., Nisha G., Maggie D., and Kay Allen. We love you! And appreciate you! Thanks so much, you guys.